Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Week one of this new series, GOAT. You guys excited about this? I am. We're going to be talking about some awesome stuff over the next several weeks. All right, so week one, we're going to talk about who's your goat, all right? Not who's got your goat, but who's your goat. You know, people talk about and argue over who is the greatest of all time. We do that, don't we? We look at stats. We look at things, and, and it can be a, a very prestigious list. There's no doubt. I'm going to actually share a few names here in just a second. We look at the stats. We look at the accomplishments. We look at contributions and things created or invented. History has a way of taking shape. Our history, what we see in our nation, around the world, they take shape around who we see or we need to be our hero or the greatest at the present time. Names like Leonardo da Vinci, Christopher Wren or Frank Lloyd Wright, George Washington, Douglas MacArthur, J.S. Bach, Jane Austen, Marion Jones, Einstein, Jesse Owens, Michael Jordan, Althea Gibson, Serena Williams, Michael Phelps, Nadia Comaneci, Bonnie Blair, Martina Navratilova, Bodie Miller, Ty Cobb, Christy Mathewson, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Pedro Martinez, Pele, Mia Hamm, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Babe Der- Diedrichson, Zaharias, probably never heard of him before, Gordy Howe, Wayne Gretzky, Usain Bolt, Tom Brady. How about the sweetness? Do you know who that is? Walter Payton. Jerry Rice, Jim Brown, Coach K. Where, there it is. I knew it was coming out. But John Gagliardi, who's actually won more championships, just not Division I. I hate that to break that to you. Thomas Edison, Nikolai Tesla. And how about these names? Jerome, Augustine, Athanasius, Basil, Zwingli, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Hudson Taylor, and of course, Billy Graham. What is interesting is that many of these people that I've just listed for you, and there are so many more, because please don't stop me and say, well, what what about, you know, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. But the interesting thing is that many of these people on this list that I just read you to you did not start out wanting to be the best in the world at what they did. In fact, it was just their commitment to what they loved, and greatness, greatness came out of it. But if we look at legacy, and if we look at the true goats of this world, we must look at it from an eternal perspective. We really should. I mean, should the greatest be the one who is the greatest for all eternity, instead of just what we experience here on this earth? That kind of changes things up a bit, doesn't it? Kind of changes the stats. In fact, the Bible tells us that the goat of all goats, of course, is Jesus Christ because all things have been placed under his feet forever. I don't want it to minimize, of course, earthly accomplishments. There are things that we enjoy. And at very least, they, at very least, and certainly the most, they inspire us. They inspire us to be the best that we can in, in, in the disciplines and the things that we experience. There's no doubt. But think about it for a minute. All things accomplished all the things that were mentioned, even in just this short list, and all the things that we can think about that ultimately bring glory 
to God. It, it goes to God, doesn't it? Because why? Because God created them. God created it. God created everything. Whether man or woman decide to give God credit or not, it's really irrelevant. Solomon said this. He said that all things are meaningless in the great scope of things. And here's a man who experienced quite a bit, saw quite a bit, and experienced the kind of treasure and greatness that none of us can even imagine. But he was only partly right because he didn't know Jesus. We do. See, greatness is not something we shouldn't disdain, dislike, or discourage. It is something that we should pursue for God's glory. That's the difference. So we're called to deflect what it is that we accomplish, knowing that it is from God that it has come, and it is he who's given us a life. He's given us one life, and to live with such purpose, with such excellence, with such focus that out of it will be a forever treasure, a victory that we see in all the glory is given to God. See, he's given us gifts, hasn't he? He's given us, us the success. He's given us the very determination. He's given it all to us. And then ultimately, he's given us the reward. See, when we think about the kingdom of God, and we think about our king, and we think about the one who has, he, he has set the standard, folks. There is no doubt. And all of the wonderful things that we can accomplish and the things that we've seen listed here, there, and I'm quite certain that at least half of those people that I just listed, they, they knew the Lord, or they gave glory to God, or at least they tried. But folks, what we're going to talk about during this series is how we cannot shrink back from greatness. Because the fact of the matter is, when we get to know the great one, he wants to draw us into that. He said this, what, these very, very important words. He said, follow me. And if his trail led to greatness, if his, if his existence was one of celebration, if his was one of giving glory to the Father, and, and of course we know it did, to follow him would mean that would take us to those journeys ourselves and to bring glory to God. So how do we get there? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, we find something incredible. In fact, what we find is so many things in Scripture that just don't make sense. They cut across the path of our thinking, of how the world thinks, and we're going to expose some of that. We're going to look at it. We're going to try to make sense of it by the grace of God. But let's look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, and it says this. The greatest among you will be your servant. And for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice that we did not just stop at those who walk in pride and those who try to exalt themselves will just remain humbled. The verse doesn't stop there. What it says is, if we humble ourselves, then we will be exalted. Of course, not to the status of Christ, not, not to any, any sense of, of, of stealing the glory of God. No, no, not at all. But coming into a, a level of excellence, coming into a level of greatness, coming into what all it is that God has created us to be and to do, to bring glory to him. And we share, not in his glory, but we share in his joy when we know that. In him, 
like a good father, just looking at us and saying, well done. Isn't it interesting that those are going to be the words? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's going to talk to us about what we've accomplished, what we've done, what we've given our energies to, what we've embraced in this life. And the fact of the matter is that it comes from him. So, he sets the record straight. He looks at all these disciples who are clamoring over who's going to be the greatest. They're clamoring. They're taking their worldly understanding and they're trying to fit it, force fit it, the square peg in the round hole. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works. If you want to experience the joy of really accomplishing something that lasts forever, you're going to follow me, and this is how it works. Comes to the door of humility. So we know Jesus is the goat. But how did he, how did he do that? Let's, let's take a look at a little more scripture here. And setting, really, the, the standard. What it is that Jesus actually did. We'll start in Philippians chapter 2. Very powerful verses of Scripture. And I'm going to flip them. I want to start with the latter verses, starting in verse 9. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. There's not a name. Come on, give me a name. All those names I've just listed, give me any other name that's either modern or ancient. This name of Jesus is above every name. How did he do it? Let's keep reading. And it says, And every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's interesting language, isn't it? And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's set. It, it, and it tells us right there that Jesus is it. There, it there'll be no question. You know, I, I, I was thinking and uh, meditating on those words right there. And I, I thought to myself, over the many years that I've, I've read those verses, especially with the every tongue confess, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, I've always thought of it in terms of being forced. And, and I hate to say it, but from a human perspective, I kind of like that. I kind of like especially the ones under the earth. I especially like those who have mocked God. I especially like the idea that God would might come along and just say, hey, look, you know, force them down to their knee. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I know that's not what's going to happen. In fact, what it's going to be is an unbelievable, well, it's going to be believable, but it's going to be beyond our, our cognizance, our ability to understand that when, when the, 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 the veil is pulled back and everyone really sees and we see and the world sees who Jesus is and what he really did, I mean, talk about esoteric knowledge. Talk about things being hidden in the, in the shadows. Talk about what is right and not right. On that day, every single soul will know who Jesus is, what he did. And we will naturally drop to our knees. There will not be a single soul that has ever breathed in and out that will not fall to their faces in absolute, utter recognition, recognition of who Jesus is. They'll be consumed with the utter knowledge that Jesus is who he is because of what he did and the ultimate wonderful plan of God. Now, will it be too late for some? Yes, that's what the Bible says. But I think it will be, 
It'll be like an earthquake. It'll be like magnetism. Everyone will just be drawn downward to bend the knee out of absolute and utter surrender. So how did Jesus become the goat? Well, let's look at the beginning of that verse because it tells us. It says here, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he says, I know who I am. You don't know who, you are, who I am. Some of you, Peter, you start getting an inkling. You can read in the book of Isaiah, and, and you'll find out, and you'll, you'll know who I am. I know who I am, but I'm not going to come and press my advantage. I mean, he could, couldn't he have? But Jesus came as a humble servant. He didn't come with 10,000 angels, you know, going before him, saying, get out of the way. The Savior's here. Didn't do that. Came humbly, simple, a carpenter, growing up in a poor family. Very humble. Without fanfare. Without any of it. No theme song. Mm -mm. Says, did not consider equality with God something to be used to take his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing. Nothing. Didn't make him just something. Nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, but made in human likeness. Folks, this is, it's astounding to just even give that some thought. But that is where real greatness begins from a biblical perspective. And it's more than just a biblical perspective. It is the only perspective. We'll talk about that in a second. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We know this story. We know that Jesus died. Jesus gave his life. Jesus did not have to do that. He was not a criminal, yet he was treated like a criminal. Can you imagine Jesus looking into the face of those who were pounding those nails into his hands and looking at them and saying, I created you, and this is what you do to me. Can you imagine him only looking at it a nanosecond and seeing their birth, seeing their mother, knowing their heritage, in his blink of an eye. This is who he was, and this is what he did. He surrendered it out of absolute and complete love. He showed us the way. And yet we think, and when we read Philippians chapter 2, we think in terms of, well, of course that's what Jesus was going to do. That's what God the Father was requiring of him. He was a pure spotless lamb. And I think we, we get stuck on that. But that's not the context. If you read Philippians chapter 2, Paul is really setting it up to say, this is what greatness is for you. This is not just greatness in how he obtained it. This is your path. This is what you're called to. This is how you're to treat one another. The greatest among you will be the one who serves. So not only did Jesus say it, he exemplified it, didn't he? 
I mean, we've got a lot of people in the world who give a lot of promises, don't we? We've got a lot of people who talk a big game. We've got a lot of people who, you know, can, can, can try to convince with just their words. But Jesus was very humble, and he shared the words, but then he went on and did it so that everything is placed under his feet. Everything. So, folks, what we would call that is what is the eternal definition of what is greatness. Jesus is, he's the goat. (laughs) Nobody touches it. But it is the standard. It is the gold standard by which everything should be measured. Now, think in terms. Now, this, does this cut across what we think out of all those people that we, you know, like I said, if we, if we go back, we go from the sublime to, to the ridiculous, don't we? Because now we sit there and we're fighting over who's got the best team and who is the best at this or best at that. It just becomes dust in our mouth when we think about what Jesus did and what is true greatness. In fact, so much of what we do when we argue about these things is just, it, takes us, it pulls us away, doesn't it? It pulls us away. So Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us how to follow him. And what we're going to do is tonight we're going to see a dichotomy. Because I'm going to share with you, before we leave tonight, two paths, two foundations, and two choices. Let's look at our two paths first of all. Jesus said this. He said, well, actually, this is in Proverbs chapter 12, but Jesus lived this, and he taught and inferred this many times. But I love this verse out of Proverbs because it, may, it's, it's, it cuts right to the chase. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man or to a person, man or a woman. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to destruction. So what does that tell us? <laughs> what does that tell us? Of course, the book of Romans gives us all the wonderful theological background for this, but let's just cut to the chase here. Let's, let's not go through a, bu- a book of Romans study right now. Let's just see what, what we know. And what is that? That we have an inclination. We are inclined. We are leaning toward, predisposed to choose the path that's not the best for us. Did you know that? We just do. We just are born that way. Left, right, right, left. This is the path. There is a path. Hmm, I think I'll take that one. Why do we do that? Well, obviously we know we're broken, that, that, that we, we've got a sinful nature. We know that's why we need a Savior. Yes, yes, yes. But let's, I mean, look at it. I mean, what will help us the most is maybe to look at why we do that practically. Well, the Jesus, Jesus told us why. It's because most people have taken that path. It's because it's not the popular path. And it's a whole lot easier for us to, to follow where the crowd is going. It's so easy for us. Because, and, and we see it going down there. How did Jesus describe it? He goes, well, that's a highway. And a lot of people choose it. He says, but the way of righteousness, the higher road, is actually a narrow path. And very few find it. Isn't that interesting language? Very few find it. What does that tell you? it might be a little hard to be hard to find. And why would it be hard to find? Because it's camouflaged. <laughs> it's because it is hidden behind layer after layer of lies 
and so many different perspectives and in all the different things and all the fanfare and all the glitz and the glamour and all of, and especially those who say, come, follow me, follow me, do it my way. And they may not even walk up to you and, and say those very words, but we're impressed by that person. We are impacted by that person. We see them as our goat. We see that they are our inspiration. And if that person that's taking that road and is at the gate to that road is our inspiration, then it's going to get much deeper, much deeper than just another voice in the crowd, another person at the gate, another person waving you on, much deeper, which I'll talk about in this next point. But Jesus said, look, there, there are two paths, two paths. And on the path that, of course, Jesus has, you ever been driving on the highway and you begin to turn and it's got that big old red sign. What does it say on there? Wrong way. Wrong way. <laughs> and it's red. It isn't yellow. It's not a suggestion like the yellow ones are, right? The yellow ones are, yeah, you know, think about going around this corner. You might not want to go 80 around a 35. You know, it's yellow. Some of you try it, though. This is a red sign, and it says, this is not the right way. And yet, we push right through it. But think about that. What a disaster it is, isn't it? Because you're going, you, 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 it's going to hurt you. It's going to put you in a place. And Jesus has warned us about that. And he said, look, there is a way that seems right to you, your inclination. He says, but in fact, you need to resist that. And you need to go with the way that I am telling you. You need to follow the path that I'm pointing out to you because what I'm giving you is real advice. I'm giving you real wisdom. I'm giving you life, life words that will help you cut through what this world is, is yelling at you, is, is, is constantly pouring at us. I mean, in all of its different ways. Of course, we know it's the path less traveled. So let me ask you a question of these two paths. Which one are you on right now? Because I have found there are times when I might just for a moment think, well, I wonder what it's like, you know, even the intimus, infis, well, I don't know the word, the small, <laughs> I'm what word I was searching for, this one going to come out. But anyway, small, little decisions or choices, millisecond, and saying, oh, I wonder what it's like over there, or to do that, or think like that, or do this with my money, or, or do that with my life, or, or what would it be like to only venture on that trail just for a second, and only to find, man, whew, I don't want to be there. Don't want to be there. I know what that brings. It's death. It, it may seem right to me at first, but very quickly, it says it leads to disaster. It leads to death. So that's a good question, isn't it? What path am I on? And how would I know what path I'm on? Well, this, here's a good one for you. How do you know what path you're on currently? Well, Jesus tells us that the path that leads to life is going to be full of life. There's going to be peace. There's going to be joy. There's going to be success. There's going to be a sense of I am exactly where God wants me to be. But the sad thing of it is, is sometimes we get on that road and we just think it's going to get better. <laughs> it's going to get better. 
And that's, it's never going to be that. In fact, it's only going to get worse. And what we have to do is start making up excuses for why we're living in such crud and why we're living in such emotionally devastating situations. And that's what the world does. The world has created everything that it can, all its isms, all its pharmaceuticals, all the different things to make us feel like that staying on this path is still a good idea. And it isn't. Until one day we wake up and realize, I gotta stop this. I am on the wrong road, man. I gotta get off of this road and I gotta get back on that simple little trail, that backwoods little two track that nobody seems to be on, but man, it is awesome. You ever done that before? I love that up in Michigan. Often I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, I was telling Andrew the other day when I was growing up, I drove on as many, or my dad drove on as many country you know, dirt roads and gravel roads than we did regular paved ones. That was such a, such a wonderful memory for me because we never were going anywhere quick and you enjoyed everything that was around you. you know? That's why I see the kingdom of God road. It's simple. You're not, you're not, you're not racing down that road. You're enjoying every, every little bend, every little view. That's the kingdom right there. Secondly, we've got two foundations. And this may seem like I've got them out of order, but you'll understand why. In Matthew chapter 7, 20 through, 24 through 27, Jesus was teaching, and, I, and, I'm, and for the sake of time, he was just basically you know, telling them about what I'm telling with, what I've just shared with you, just, just basically bring it down to say, look, my words are life. And what I'm telling you, I'm not wait, I'm, please don't make me waste my time with what I'm sharing with you. I've got three short years to live with you, and I'm downloading into you what it is that will absolutely transform your life, will make this life joy, that if you'll just follow me, it's going to be tough, it's gonna, there's going to be some death, but that death is just to your, 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 your earthly nature. Out of that will be birthed joy and peace and success and comfort and grace and all the good things that God has for us. He said that's what's going to grow up out of that, what was buried in the soil, what you, you died to. And so he says this. He, he ends that section by saying this. Those who heed my words will be like those who build their house upon a rock. And then he says, but those who don't listen to me are building their house on the sand. Two foundations, two paths, and then two foundations. And what I want to talk about there just real quickly tonight is your foundation. Now, what is the foundation of our life? It is what we think, okay? It is what you presuppose. We call those presuppositions. And with presuppositions, you would be surprised that what you presuppose absolutely determines how you think about everything. And so, in other words, it would be wise to go back to your presuppositions, to even discover what they are. And a lot of people don't. A lot of times we don't take time to go back. And, 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 and yet, and I think sometimes it takes time in life. But that's why it's so good for young people, even children, for those foundations to be built upon the rock and upon the word of God. And the Bible even says for us as parents to teach them so that when they're old, they won't depart from those truths. Because why? They're foundational. Everything they believe about morality, 
everything they believe about God himself. Most people come to Christ before the age of 21, and most of that is impacted in those earliest days as they're developing. Foundation is so critical. So what do we think, and why do we think it? We, recall, we might all call that our philosophical beliefs, but let me give it more biblical terminology, and that is what are, what are your convictions? What are you willing to die for? Because everything else is just preference. I can take it or leave it. I like chocolate, I like vanilla. Uh, you know, on this or that, I could do this, I could do that. It just depends on how I'm feeling. But see, Jesus is saying, look, my words are life. My words are, should be the blocks that are at the very, very concrete, I mean, or the, at the bedrock is the word I was looking for. Their bedrock should be the words of Christ. If we dig in and dig all the way down to the bottom of you, to the very depth of your thinking, is it based upon the utter and absolute conviction that Jesus is your Lord and that you're, he, he is everything to you? Everything. And when that is, then, then, and what are we doing? We're, we're obeying, we're, we're following with what Jesus said. He said, heed my words, listen to what I'm telling you. They, and, and if you don't listen to me, then you're building your life on sand. And we all know what happens to sand if you try to build your house upon it. It says the wind will come, the water, the floods, the things of life will come. And, and you know what? You know, sometimes you might even have a, a, a house that's built upon that sand that lasts for quite a bit of time. And everybody just says, well, man, he, look at there. There's one who, who did get away with building his house on the sand. Only to find out, well, the storm just took a little longer to get there. And because of erosion of time, because of the unsettling of time, in fact, it's that much more going to be swept away when that time comes. And so Jesus is saying, look, my words are the foundation of your thinking. So how much of Jesus' words are in you? How much of what Jesus talks about on the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount are an absolute foundation to how you live every aspect of your life. How you look at your own sexuality, how you look at yourself, how you look at your longevity, your security, how you look at your money and what is given to you and, 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 and the reality that it really doesn't belong to you. Your whole life doesn't even belong to you. you know, when, when you let those words of Jesus get inside you, it, it absolutely, when you open your eyes again, you see the world through the divine perspective, through he is the goat and we're to follow him. And again, we're, we're, we're rushed into eternity and we see our lives from, those, from that perspective. See, you can only live Please listen to these words. You can only live in contradiction, and that means that you say one thing right and you believe another, okay? And, and we, a lot of us live there. We can only live in contradiction for so long before we just walk away. 
Example, try a new skill. Try something right now that you've never done before. And if you don't have the gift, what happens? Before too long, you're just like, squirrel, let's go do something else. It doesn't bring him any joy. There's no passion with it. There's, there's, there's no connection. And I'm trying, but what, it, what am I doing? I'm living a contradiction. My passion, my purpose is not there. And before too long, it's just going to be like, you just wander away. That's why so many people walk away from Christ. Because he is not their foundation. He's not. And if we let religion and tradition and ritual become the foundation, then folks, that doesn't last. That's the shifting sand. Religion gets you nothing. Tradition, fun, but it's not real. Everybody's got one. Ritual. It may make you feel good. In other words, it may make you feel like, oh man, I really love Christmas. I really love the things we do at Easter. I love ham. I love turkey. I love whatever. I love the smell. I love the signs. I love the lights. Folks, that, all that is, in so, in so many ways, when it's tapped into our soul, it becomes ritual when it doesn't include him. So, and, when, and when our foundation is him, I don't need any of it. I don't need any of it. I don't need the religion. I don't, even, I don't need a church building. I don't need a hymnal. I don't even need a song. I don't need any of it. Why? Because I've got Jesus, and that's all I need. The rest of it, that's fun. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Do you know and understand understand the words of Jesus? Bruce, I think it's you that you're going through this year through the Gospels. You've made that a commitment, and that's awesome. I might even do that after I'm finished with my 90-day deal. That's a great idea to just focus on the words of Jesus for weeks and weeks, maybe months. Because he's the one who said, heed my words. Do we know them? Do you know what Jesus said? Do you know what Je- how Jesus responded to all the things that are going on in this world today? If you don't know, then there's a foundation, there's a part of your life that is built on sand and not on the bedrock, not on what it is that will not move, that cannot be shaken. And when it's challenged, whew, that's when we'll really see what is preference and what is conviction, won't we? And then finally, folks, well, let me finish a few things here. I don't want to shortchange you tonight. But do the words of Christ shape your choices? And that's key. Do they shape your choices? Do they affect your choices? Do you, when you're getting ready to do something, say something, be something, do you stop and say, well, Jesus said this, and so I better not do that, or I better do this. And so that comes down to the last point here, is two choices. He's given us two choices. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 30, we have the parable of the workers in the field. And Jesus said, look, let me kind of tell you the way the kingdom of God works. 
He said, there's these two guys. And this one guy walked up to, and I put myself in that perspective, but he, he's, saying, he's saying there were these two men, and there was a, a manager and a father, I think, of the two boys. And he walks up, and he goes, look, you need to go out in the field today, and you need to work. No, I don't want to go. Okay. Goes to the next one. Hey, you're going to go out into the field today. Yes, sir. I'm going to be there. Man, I'll be there so bright and early, Dad. You can't. Oh, man. And when I'm done, you're going to be amazed. Father walks away. And Jesus said, now this is what really happened. The one who said he didn't really want to do it got thinking about it after a while and said, no, you know, I better do this. And he goes out there and works all day. But the one who said he was going to get out there didn't do it. Because words are cheap. What Jesus was trying to expose was you can't always tell in a person's count, countenance. You can't even always tell. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of the reluctant astronaut myself. When God comes to me sometimes and he says, David, I need you to do this, I'm like, oh, really, Lord? Mm. Okay. Some of us are like that. I know I am. But what Jesus is saying, look, when it's all said and done, what's really going to be, the, what's really, what, what really matters? Who's doing it? And you know, I'm sure a lot of us could get better attitudes, but here's the problem. If you've got a smiley, church-looking face, and you're playing the part, and you're going through the motions, and you, and you say yes and amen, and you know the verses to the song, you know where the church building is, you know all the talk, and you even know the walk, but you never do it. Jesus says, look, you've got a choice. It is a matter of the heart. And that's interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. In the end, it is about those who come to Christ obediently. And it speaks of a heart change, doesn't it? And a tough decision that often means surrender of the will. Surrender of the will. There's no way around it, okay? You can't color coat. I mean, you can't you color coat, you know, whatever. No, sugar coat, that's the word. Mixed metaphor going on there. All right, yeah. You can't sugarcoat what is the truth here. I mean, we try to do it. Pastors try to do the song and dance. We try to make it look real good. We try to give you the three-point sermons, get you out in time so you can get to dinner. But no way we can sugarcoat the truth that it's going to cost you your life. You're going to have to lay it down. You're going to have to die to you. You're going to have to look at these things that are going on in this world today. You're going to have to look and say, do I go that way or do I go that way? And, I, and Jesus, what way? You know which way. You've got to follow me. It's, it, it's going to hurt, yeah, a little bit. But no matter what, it's going to cause, it's going to be a surrender of your will. It's going to be a surrender of your volition, your desires. It's going, you're going to have to lay it down. Because that is the pathway to greatness. That is the pathway to greatness. He's the goat. Who else should we listen to? Is there anyone else that has better wisdom than the Son of God? Who everything has been placed under his feet? I mean, come on. There's no actor out there that compares. There's no scientist. You know, most of that is just bells and whistles anyway. No one ever said that being a Christ follower would ever be easy. As a matter of fact, ask any person 
who's ever achieved greatness, was it easy? No. They're going to say, you kidding? I mean, go down through that list. The hours and hours and hours they put into doing it. I forgot what the, the hours, you know, what it was. It's like five years, five hours a day. That's what it was. Five years, five hours a day. You're going to be an expert in anything. <laughs> five years. Whoa. But for some of these people, it was all of their life. They gave themselves to it. So can I ask you a question here tonight? Does Jesus deserve any less? And will we tap into what it is that he has for us to achieve? And, and you may just say, I, I know what you're thinking. You may just say, well, that just means I'm going to be feeling dead all the time because <laughs> I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm surrendering. No way. In fact, it is always, it, it is typically what it is. It's a little pain at, at, at first. Little pain of surrender, but on the other side of it is absolute, utter joy. And God, watching, watching God bless you and your family and your finances and your, the, the work of your hands, the, 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 the fruit of your mind, the, the, what comes out of your mouth, you will sit back at times and go, this is astounding because God is doing it all. In fact, people will begin to say about you, Man, you're amazing. Do you, you know that? You're amazing. And you go, man, no, I'm not. In fact, I died to all of this. You don't know the struggle. You don't know the pain, the hours, and the, and the, and the, the times when I had to say no to that. I mean, I'm so tempted to give examples from my life, but I just feel like that's, that would cheapen it, weaken it. But I will say this. There have been many hours where Andrew and I would go for a walk and we'd be in tears over some of the choices that we knew we had to make. I'll leave it at that. So which is easier? Following the world and its wisdom or following Christ into a hostile environment? Well, let's be honest. It's not easy. But the promise is joy and peace in this world an absolute paradise forever there? Forever. Do you value eternity? I hope you do. Because Jesus appealed to that. He said, Can, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to heal your body, I'm going to set you free, I'm going to cast that demon out of you, but the best thing I'm going to do for you is going to prepare a place in heaven where you get to be with me and we get to be together forever. That's, that's the big prize. So, who's your goat? Who's your hero? What's your inspiration? Jesus said, follow me. And Paul, Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. In a sense, we all still do, don't we? When you think about Paul and those words he gave us by the Spirit of God. To be a goat in God's eyes may mean you'll never be enshrined. You'll never be celebrated, or books even written about you. But to God, you'll be the greatest in the kingdom of God. You'll be one that he walks up and says, I know you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Think about it. See, goats leave an undeniable legacy of real joy. 
and time, as we know, will reveal the truth. So, you sat here tonight, you listened to this message, and I believe the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart. And if he is, and you're seeing it, and you're feeling it, then respond. Because it's never too late to get started right back on that path of legacy. Right back on to following the greatest of all time. The one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who has the best for you, and the one who says, let's talk about your purpose, and let's make the best of it. Amen? Let's stand up tonight. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, you are the goat. You're it. We worship you. We bow the knee now. There's no argument. There's no comparison. You proved it. You showed it. And you're beckoning us. Heed my words. Follow my path. Think as I think. So Lord, tonight we do, Jesus, we do surrender again to the very will of God. Lord, we don't know it all. We, don't, we can't see it. It's, it's a bit frightening. But we know you, and we know what you said. And we know you're coming again. We're always on your mind. You're always, we're always on your mind. Forgive us for not always making you on our mind. So Lord, tonight we surrender. We do surrender our will again. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In our hearts, in our lives, in our activities, in our thoughts, in everything we do, your kingdom come. Your will be done in us as it is in heaven. If you're here tonight, my friend, if you've, if you've never given your life to Christ, i got great, great news for you. The door is open. His arms are wide open to you. And he loves you so much. And he proved it. And he also made it incredibly simple. Incredibly simple. I believe. I believe that, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe of what you said. I believe that you died for me and you rose from the dead and you ascended to the right hand of the Father and you're coming again. I believe. If you say that and you believe that, my friend, you are saved by the blood of Jesus. Before you go tonight, I want you to come down here to the front. Don't leave. Come down here and see Pastor Bruce. He wants to help you take your first steps. Lord, for the rest of us, we go tonight. Lord, we worship you tonight. In absolute wonderment. You, you broke through, God, the, the heaviness of heart, the, 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 the stubbornness of soul. 
And Lord, for just a few moments, we tasted heaven. And Lord, we, we brought our tithes and offerings. We've honored you with the first fruit of our wealth. We've listened to the word of God. And I'm asking you to seal it in us tonight. Everyone here tonight and everyone who will be listening to this message, seal the word of God in us. Let it not escape. Let it not return void without, without it burning into us fresh conviction. Because Holy Spirit, that's what you do. And we thank, we're so grateful. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. We love you.